From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. I'm going to start with a story this morning. Are you ready to jump in with me? When I was seven, um, my parents were homeschooling me, and it was great. It was a good experience, but I was just a little too, shall we say, social or extroverted that they knew that they needed to move me to another school because I was begging and begging them for something called big class. I wanted a big class, and I wanted more and more friends. And I, we had homeschool friends, and they were great, but I just want you to know that homeschoolers back then weren't quite as trendy as they are now. You know, I'm talking my friends had stretchy jean pants and not the jeggings. They were like, they were a whole time. So I uh, was so excited to meet some new friends and I got put into a big class and I was so excited. And my favorite thing about this new class was that we prayed every single morning and it was amazing. And without fail, every Sunday I threw my hand up. I could have hit the ceiling because I had somebody that I wanted to pray for. There is somebody in my life who I've been praying for for a long time to know God. And for the next five years, from the age of eight until 13, I threw my hand up in the morning because I wanted him to know God. And I still do. And I would pray every single day, dear Lord, I ask that you would save so-and-so, that he would come to know you. And I would pray that same thing in the same way every single morning for five years. And I was coming to the Lord with childlike and faithful faith, right? But I think my classmates after a while were like, here she goes again. She's got the same prayer. And it's just, it's a little repetitive. That's okay. But after a while, my prayer started to sound a little more like, dear God, I ask that you would save so-and-so that they would come to know you. Dear God, I ask that you would come to come to save so-and-so, that they would come to know you. And it, there was a bit of a dailiness that affected it, you know? And it got a little stale. Even affected my childlike faith as a child. Not every child has that zeal at that moment. I was getting tired already, and I was seven, eight It wasn't until I had a life-changing revival for myself at 16 that I learned a new and revitalized way to pray, and I want to share that with you this morning. Do you want that? It's, It's my favorite thing. I learned the beauty of praying through Scripture, using God's words, his inspired text, and praying them back to him. I don't have to bother with my own words. He's got them for me. When my words are tired, he has them, and they're inspired by him. What better words to give him, right? So we're going to learn how to do that today. Dive in, discover a new, revitalized voice to give back to God. I needed that at the age of seven. I needed that at 16 when I came back to God. I needed that two months ago, if I'm being transparent with you. Who needs newness in their prayer life in this room? Be honest, right? And I'm going to probably just imagine that half of you did not raise your hands as well, but... Maybe you've been praying for the same thing for over a decade, like me. Maybe, two decades, that's nice, okay. Maybe maybe your prayers have taken on a tone of monotony because it's just been the same person over and over again, or the same cycle over and over again. Maybe you've stopped praying altogether because you don't feel like an answer, or no answer means that no one's listening. He is listening, but sometimes that silence is deafening, right? And we get really impatient really quick, because guess what? I'm going to shock you. We're human. We are. So why would we be shocked when we fail and we fall? It's going to happen. So that's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to pray, bring our time before the Father of the Most High, Almighty God, and learn how to pray together, okay? Bow your heads. Father, I bring to you my heart this morning. I've sat at your feet, and you've spoken to me. 
and you change my life. God, I ask that you would fill me and overflow me, that your word would affect heart change in your people in this building. Father God, you, are those literal crickets? Are those actual crickets right now? That's amazing. That's great. Okay, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. That it's only your words that are worth listening to. I have nothing to share. I have nothing to say. You are the potter, and I am the clay. God, I just want to set myself aside, place myself in the pew. I, I have nothing to bring but my experience and love for you. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us this morning. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. I feel really encouraged by that bug. That's great. Okay, so um, I want you to hear my, my dripping sarcasm as I say this, okay? You might not know my humor, but just, just hear the sarcasm. I have a big, big surprise for you today. Huge surprise. As you know, we've been journeying, journeying through the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to keep going through Ephesians. Woo! Okay, so open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. We're going to tackle this section verse by verse together. Hop into your, uh, your phone, check it out. We're going to really let God's word speak to us this morning. Like I said, I ain't got nothing for you. This is entirely Jesus speaking to you. Um, when you have it, say Amen. When you have it, yell amen. Thank you. That's good. Okay, so this passage starts by telling us something really important. Verse 14, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. What's he doing? He's praying. Okay, this is a prayer passage. This is Paul continuing on, and he is praying for the Ephesians. Now, we have to remember something. The Ephesians are the people of Ephesus in Turkey. Now, that sounds very factual, but it's important for us to remember that because they are not Jewish believers. They are non-Jewish believers. They are Gentiles, okay? Now, that is important because that's an entirely different culture. They're in Turkey. They're not in Israel, okay? So we are dealing with religiously different. They are socially different. They're culturally different. They're different in their families, okay? They're different people, but they also worship different. The Jews didn't kneel when they pray. So if this book was not called Ephesians, and it was called Toaster Strudel, or Crickets, it's really on my mind, um, if it was called something else, we would know that this book was written to Gentiles because Paul is saying to them, I kneel before the Father, okay? So, I'm going to read through this passage. It is lengthy. There's a lot of adjectives. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I tell you, we've got a small youth group, and they are louder than you people. So, okay. For <laughs> younger than you. It's true. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is Paul talking. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that as, is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That was a lot of descriptors, a lot of adjectives. <laughs> Paul, okay? But we're going to take the passage down to the studs, okay? We're going to let the word speak for itself this morning. It's easy to get lost in all those immeasurably more than all we ask. 
very easy. So Paul is praying for three things. He's praying for the empowering of the Spirit and the people of Ephesus that they might come to know three things. He wants three things for them. The Spirit's power in them. He wants them to know the Spirit's power in them. He wants them to know Christ's indwelling in them. And he wants them to know and experience the fullness of the riches of God that's available to them. His intent with this prayer passage is that he wants readers to be strengthened by God's spirit so that they might know intimately Christ's presence and his love, that it would be theirs. They would have ownership over that faith and that it would overflow. Paul desires that they both, both Jews and Gentile believers, would be united by that experience. He knows that the Jewish believers have this. He says, people, you need this. You need this uniting love so that because of this, it can be given to one another as a united body of Christ representing his love accurately because they felt it first so that the rest of the world can know it firsthand, that it can spread like wildfire because they've been shown that God love somebody else that had it and it overflowed to them. That personal experience creates, personal experience creates, personal experience creates family. That is what he wants for the Ephesians or the toaster strudels. That that love is all drawn from Christ's blood shed on the cross. That that love is the gospel in action. This is a love passage. He loves these people. Love is actually central in describing our experiences with Christ. I cannot tell my testimony of how I met Jesus to any of you without talking about the love of God. It is central to our experience with God. And if we recall that love chapter in Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, it ends with, if I have not love, I am nothing. If I have not love, I am nothing. This love that we have in us is also the gospel in us. I'll say it again. This love that we have in us from God because of the blood shed on the cross, da-da-da, is the gospel in us. So this love passage is also a gospel passage. You follow? God is love, so love is the gospel. This passage is loving. It's a loving prayer centered on Christ's blood shed for us and what it's going to do to you. The entire reason that I stand here, the entire reason that I hope that you're sitting there. Love is both the source and the goal of the Christian life. It is the source of our beginning and of how we live and of how we breathe, but it's also the goal of how we love along the way. The way in which we want to be remembered and our goal as believers is to take the love of Christ to all nations. When you were saved, you were also sent by God. And that's very literal for somebody who stands here every week. But when you were saved, you were sent into your office at work, into your home, into your baby's nursery, into your school. I do not care where you go. You were saved, so you are sent. If you don't want to be sent, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? You are sent, so what are you going to do with that? That was an aside, just a little bonus for you. The goal of this experience of God's love that Paul speaks of is for these believers to extend it to one another. It's a uniting love. So uh, love is my source and my goal, but love is our source and our goal. That I'm not alone in that sending there's not one day that I stand here and I don't have you standing with me, right? 
It's a uniting love. It's an agape love. Here, it's the hope that experiencing God's moral excellence and perfection might cause Jewish and Gentile believers to love each other. Positionally, they are one in Christ. They are reconciled to God because of Christ's blood. And experientially, they're to love one another in him as well. But at this time, they did not mix to worship God. Interracial churches were not a thing. Okay? You look out, and it's one kind of person. I was at a conference yesterday, and I tell you, I have, I have been the minority in the room many times in my life, but it was a C. And I sat there, and I was like, this, this is beautiful. It's beautiful, but they didn't have that. It was a taste of heaven yesterday. But there's a uniting love of heaven that they have not experienced yet that Paul is longing for them to have, okay? This miracle of love from the heavenly realms that we cannot obtain anywhere else. It is God's love in us. It's not something I can muster up. I've tried, and it burns out really fast. Have you tried that? Burns out really fast. That's what God's love has done in this church. It's united us brought us under one roof in a town in Canada, people who love Jesus, that we might love one another with his love. It's uniting. It is important that we seek and pursue the Lord corporately as a body. Seeking him and pursuing him alone is amazing. It is important. But if you're not coming together with the body of Christ, you're missing out on the bride of Christ. You're missing out on a fullness that God has for you. Verse 15. From whom? From God. Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the father from whom every family is named means that partly we all have the same origin and value. We belong to a larger human family, all members to which Oh, their allegiance to God. We belong to each other. I belong to you, and you belong to me. And instinctually, we take care of our treasured belongings. You will never touch my dog if it is not out of love, okay? My dog is my treasure, right? And we care for that. But you are a treasured belonging of mine. And I of you. And we're called to steward that well. We have to care for each other just as carefully as I do with Sergeant Pepper at home. A unified body is confirmed, and it's mentioned again in verse 18, if you look at it. That we might have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. All of us where two or more are gathered, God's power is at work in us. This is an us thing. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's plural, hearts. That he can dwell in us. It's an us thing. We must ask him for this filling of the spirit together. It's an us thing. The people of Ephesus didn't have this unity yet. And it makes sense, the proof, is that if Paul's calling them out on it, he's at least heard a little bit that they're not having a good time and that there's some disunity there, right? A little bonus aside, if the goal for these people to get unity in their disunified church is love, if you're experiencing disunity under this house, what's the answer? love. I don't know of any division in this house of God, and praise God, right? But if you're feeling any of that, maybe you're new, or you and your friend are having a fight, I don't know. Know this. That is not God's best for you at all. Follow the words of Paul and get on your knees first. 
then get up and give the love that he filled you to one another. There is nothing more grounding and more emotionally centering that I've found other than prayer. If you need a heart change, and sometimes it's hard to want that, I'll be honest, but if you need a heart change, a perspective change, you're not sure how you're gonna talk to somebody when you see them, you're not really sure what's up with your mood, get on your knees and pray. Gentleness and love will flow out of you. It's promised in these words. And I have yet to see these words fail. And I am just a blip in time. If we catch Paul's vision of what he wants for the Ephesians, if a group of believers who are chasing Jesus so passionately can love each other that selflessly, then anybody, anybody should be able to walk into those doors and be welcomed into family. Anyone. And if you feel like you're lacking unity within a church, you're probably lacking love for them. And that's not me. That's the Bible, okay? And lacking love is lacking the gospel in action in you. And if you're lacking love for them, you're not grasping what Jesus did for you on the cross. There is nothing more grounding than prayer. And if that's where you find yourself, get on your knees. At that conference that I was, I was at yesterday, obviously you can pray however you need to, but at that conference I was at is I sat and saw a, a woman who was, I'm going to say 70 minimum in the most gentle way, <laughs> okay? And she came up with a cane, and I thought, oh, how, like, how nice that she's like coming to the front. And she, she threw her cane away, and she knelt. If God's calling you to your knees, he's going to help you get back up, right? You can also call us. We'll come help you. <laughs> but if he's calling you to your knees, he can help you get back up. Be obedient. Paul was asking this of a people who understand family in a bigger sense than we do in the West, right? Like you think of big Mediterranean families. I think of my big Mediterranean family. We don't live in a culture that prioritizes this kind of family living, and I think it affects us. My name is much shorter now, and you all can actually pronounce it now and you're welcome. But um, I did grow up in the whole big fat Greek family situation. And Greeks are by far the most welcoming and hospitable people that I've ever met, honestly. I, family is everything to them. And I held my Greek heritage so closely to my heart that I think the rest of my heritage kind of diminished. But I, I was Greek. And then my parents took me to Greece my brother and I, and I realized I'm Greek. I'm not Greek, right? Like, there is a, a love in that household and a, a family unity that they have that I think the Western culture has affected our Canadian Greek family on this side of the ocean, honestly. My, yeah, our, our familiness of the Lazarakis clan couldn't stand up to the westernness of idolization that we have in our world over here. There's values that we live by unknowingly that aren't necessarily bad at first glance, but they're not they're not God's best for us as believers. They're not unifying I think there's, there's better for us. So we're going to tackle a few of those. Let me explain. There's important things that we want for our kids. We want for ourselves. We read self-help books. We want independence. We want self-determination. We want self-fulfillment. Those sound fine. Those are nice words, right? They're seemingly harmless that our culture puts forth to pursue, and then we read them into this Bible. And they don't belong there, not from what I've seen. And none, none of those things matter if you are in the church, okay? 
you don't need independence because we are independent of everything in this world but Jesus Christ. And on him, we are totally dependent. And if you're not, you're doing it in your own strength. Self-determination, in our uniqueness, we're determined by him. He is my motivation. He defines my identity, not myself. Myself will and has failed me over and over again, but my God never, ever will. It is by his will that I move and breathe every day. It is his will that I take this next breath. And this one Every single heartbeat, every single breath is his. Self-fulfillment. I mean, don't you want to be happy? I now seek to fulfill God's will, not my own. This dying to self and laying down your cross with you on it, mind you, is in actuality how you find your true self in relation to God. For that is the purpose of your creation. Hannah said it best, we are created to love God, to know his love, to have his love, to give his love. It is all about a simple four-letter word, and it sounds like it's boiled down, but it's not. In losing life, we find it. In trying to keep it for ourselves, we lose it. True self-evaluation and actualization and freedom, true freedom that you are looking for is found in life with Christ. Our inner being requires just as much exercise and care as our physical being. It, spiritual growth doesn't work by osmosis, okay? Your Bible sitting on your side table it's not going to grow your heart and your mind, okay? It's not going to do anything. We actually, well, it might create some guilt and shame as it, the dust piles up, so it might do that for you, but your inner self requires a direct line to nourishment from God. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul prays for his readers that the spirit will be so strong of an influence that at the controlling center of their being, that their lives are going to show for it. That at the depths of their inner being, or their heart, it's, it's just overwhelmed <laughs> by God affecting change from which all life is comprehended and your emotions are processed and your choices are made, that that is the lens through which life is seen, through the cross. That Paul prays here that Christ will permeate one's entire being, that by the Spirit's work, Christ takes up residence in you. It is the equivalent to the command that we see in chapter 5 to be continually filled with the Spirit. It goes on to verse 17. So that, that's cause and effect, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell. Dwell here is be at home in. And home is where you stay. Home is where it's comfy that the very center of your deeply rooted lives with Christ, that he's in there, that that is where change and love is coming from. We are to let Christ become the dominating and determining factor for our attitudes and conduct. That we see everything before us through a different lens, through God glasses, if you will. This is a call for you to realize God's unanticipated power to affect change in you. 
in keeping with the power that's already working in you, that he wants to fill you again and give you an abundance of his riches, a fullness. But if we do not believe that the spirit of God resides in our inner being, or we do not allow him there because we have not surrendered all of it, then what's possibly going to motivate us to grow as a believer? If God's not at that controlling center, and you are and you fail, who's there? Because somebody's going to be there. What's scarier is that if the Spirit of God does not reside in us, who is? It's imperative that we grasp a proper theology and understanding of the presence of God and the indwelling of Christ in us to put our Christian lives into motion rather than following the motions of the world. God doesn't fit the limitations of our expectations. He does far more abundantly than we ask or seek, right? God's ways and thoughts are exceedingly beyond our ways and thoughts. God is at work and eager to work in us to achieve his purpose for salvation. Knowing the love of Christ is not a mental thing. Okay, you can argue with a mental thing. I know that I love Christ because I've felt his love. I've experienced his love. I have sat in his love. I know many atheists who've done their studies and know the Bible far more than me. But they have not love. It's a heart knowledge, an experience that is personally irrefutable and over, over, overflows. I want to make a disclaimer here that some of the following words and thoughts are not my own. There's three smart theology guys, okay? Their names are John and Roy and Klein, okay? That's not Zoe. So if it hits home, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you through them and not me, okay? God is at work in us, but we need to be more aware and more expectant of his work. If we are to be continually filled with his spirit, we are responsible for and need to be active in that process. Passivity does not fit with Christian faith. Sitting there does nothing for you. Not participating with your heart wide open, not coming with love for the people sitting next to you, it does nothing. God doesn't need more people sitting here. He needs more people with love coming through those doors and going out those doors, people who are saved and are sending. The Spirit of God does not work in us without our willingness because he doesn't want a robotic love he wants our entire hearts. He doesn't move us to the goal overnight. He lives within us. And in our innermost being, this is a slow-going process sometimes. Have you ever been in a cycle where you're like, this again? I thought I learned this the last five times. We're here again, and it's just in a different form. God needs you to learn it. It takes a time. We are limited and prone to failure, and that's okay, because he's going to pick you right back up. He loves you. The real problem, I feel, is that we don't care enough, and we're too prideful. We like the privileges of church without the bother of love. We don't care enough. We just don't have time. And honestly, that sounds like a priority or a pride issue to me. There's always time for what you want to make time for. And we tell our kids that. And then we don't live that out. And that's where it gets sticky. When I have a student who wants to hang out with me, there's not a lot that's going to stop them from hanging out with me. I had one taking out the trash with me last week. Okay, they're going to come and do chores with me in the church if I'm busy. 
when your kid wants to spend time with you and you go to the bathroom, where are they? They are in the bathroom with you, okay? If you want to spend time with somebody, there's not a lot that's going to stop you. I hope the bathroom door. There's not a lot that's going to stop you from spending time with them. So what's stopping you from spending that time with God? Often I hear that people feel far from God, and I think the problem's with us, not God, because we know he's there, right? We know in his word that he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. He's really close, and he's never turned his back to you, but you've followed the way of the world. And I tell you, if Christ has truly affected your heart, those rhythms begin to change. You march to the beat of the drum, that beautifully harmonizes with the church. And the love of God changes you from the inside out and spills everywhere. We will be known by our love. Are you known by your love? Verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. And more things. Just a note for the nerds in the room. The image here of botanical and architectural imagery being rooted, nature, and established, like foundation, is really cool because I think it works on a lot of levels for us to understand the depth and the firmness that our foundation needs to have in the way of the world. It's, it's a cause and effect being rooted and established, then blank. Then you may have power. The roots need to run deep. And we wonder why kids go off to high school and go off to college. It's one in three who continue going to church. And of that number, how many are really a dedicated Christian? Those stats are high. The moment that they're no longer forced into church, they're gone and we act surprised. Their roots never really got grounded in the word and the love of God. But something I respect about teens is that they're going to be honest about it, right? They're going to tell you that they don't give a rip about what you're talking about, and I appreciate that. But there's going to be people that come and sit in churches every Sunday, and they sit and they listen because that's what a good person does. But God doesn't need more of you there. And please keep coming. Um, but, <laughs> but we want to see God's love affect and change your soul, that he dwells within you so it affects and changes the church, so it can affect and change the world to grow the church, to grow the people, to grow the church, to change the world, right? The more I know Christ, the more I'm amazed by him. And I don't know about you, but I, I cannot do this life without God. I've tried in the past, and the Lord's brought me back to him. Praise God. Honestly, take it all away, but leave me, Jesus. Leave me, Jesus. I can testify to this because he's transformed my inner being, and it's taken time. He's taken up residence in me and dwells in me, and I cannot and will not walk away. Why? Because he dwells in me. And I know his love. I am rooted and established in it. And it is good. We pray for these students starting school this week. Pray for them constantly that God would protect them and keep them from evil and give their teachers kindness and la-di-da. I propose that we change the way we pray for believers going out into the world and for young people. What if we pray like this? God, help them see how vast your love is, that it would root and establish them in you. God, that they might know this confounding and miraculous love personally, that it would affect an authentic and personal change in their innermost being. It will change everything about them. We're going to finish this passage and, and wrap up. 
verse 17, that Christ may dwell in their hearts, verse 18, so they can have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The riches of his glory is this, to be strengthened by his power of his glory in your innermost being. Those are the riches God, would you strengthen these people? Strengthen me, God. Verse 19. Kind of makes me chuckle a little bit when I read this one. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power. It just feels like a lot, right? But this is, this is somebody who's confounded. This is Paul who's like, I can't even explain to you. I've written like half the Bible, and I can't even explain to you how amazing this is. God's love is immeasurable. It is vast. It is high. It is deep. It is wide. It is long. It is huge. And I've got a couple sentences to do it. But looking at Paul's life, I think that he was known by his love. When was the last time that the gospel affected you so much that you prayed like this? The last time that you prayed something dangerous for someone else, that God would change their heart, not just get in their way, right? On your knees, aching for others to know the love of Christ. Pray for them by name. When we are made new by God upon belief in him, being transformed, we are made full by Christ. We long to see people who are God-filled, who have the fullness of God. And it's the entire vision of this church to experience Jesus in a life-changing way. Church can easily become a chore. Being a Christian can mean a lot of things these days. It really does. But when the world sees you and knows you, do they encounter someone who's spirit-filled, who has the fullness of the riches of God? Who has the fullness of God? I don't want people to know me as a good speaker because I'm, I'm not, it's just God's word. I don't want people to know me as a, a singer or a discipler or an artist. I don't, I don't want those titles. I want people to know me because they see God, because they've seen his love in me, that I'm supernaturally filled with love beyond what they can comprehend, that like Adam and Eve, I'm truly human because God breathed his life into me that people see his joy and compassion, that's the goal. Love is the source, and love is the goal. Not that so-and-so stops this, and so-and-so stops smoking, but we pray that the living God would strengthen this person in their inner being, that the power within them can affect change from the inside out, that by that power, they would actually want to obey his commands, that it would be irrefutable that it was Jesus that changed their lives. Often we think, if only I could get my kid to youth group. If only I could get them to stop hanging around those neighbor kids. If only I could get so-and-so to stop smoking or gaming so much. They'd have more time to meet God. If I can do this, if I can do this, if I can do this. You have no power to save. But you know the one who can. And you have his love in you. You have his spirit in you. And that's what's changed your life. So why aren't we praying for that for other people? I want people to have what I have. There's only one factor here. It's the Holy Spirit. Just the Holy Spirit. 
He's the only one that can change and affect a person. There's no magic words that I can concoct that will finally affect this person that I've been praying for for two decades. There's nothing. I've tried. It is only the Holy Spirit that will bring him to his knees. The Holy Spirit is what brought me to my knees. Change is from the inside out. If we are rooted and established in him, when the storms come, where do we go? Nowhere. A few weeks ago, when we had that storm and the trees were down everywhere and blocking the streets and my driveway was covered with stuff, it had me thinking about this passage. What tree am I? Which trees are my students? What trees are my brothers and sisters in the church? What trees are my brother and sister and my family? What about their kids? When the storm comes, the ones that stand tall and stand firm are the ones that know the height, they know the depth, they know the width, and one more, the length of the love of God. They will be known by their love. They will stand firm because of the love of God. And out there, we know it's a scary place, okay? We do, but it's not so much if we are rooted and grounded in the fullness of God's love because nothing's going to tear it down. Unless we are raising up disciples and kids who are rooted in the love of Christ, they won't survive. They won't. But once they are rooted in the love of God, they've experienced Christ, and we've prayed like this for them, do you not think God's going to show up? Greater is he who is in me than who is in the world. I have no fear. I laugh at the future because we stand in a place of victory, and we talk about that a lot, but there's a holy confidence that comes with it because I know I am rooted and established. Many of you were here a few weeks ago when my husband, Zach, shared his testimony of healing, and praise God, he's, he had some debilitating battles with his health and particularly bad um, over the last eight months, and it was a hard season, and praise God that it's over. But this is what I want you to hear. Coming out of it, I was so encouraged by how neither of us have swayed from the heart of God. In fact, like we know this to be true because of that tree analogy. And I believe that that wind and that storm we went through has made us stronger, that the roots are deeper, the foundation is firmer, that we are established in his love. We might look a little worse for the wear, but we are rooted and established in his love. All the glory to God. When you look at a mountain in your life, are you fearful of the future? It's okay if you are because you're a person. But does that fear pause and you go, but God's got this? Are you firmly rooted and grounded in place? Do we laugh at the future because we already know who is one? I'm just rooted, honestly. I'm stuck. I Try to uproot me. It's not happening. It's, I'm not going anywhere. When the storms come, it's going to be easy for us to see who's left standing. And if you're left standing, are your kids standing with you? When I go from here one day, and I, the other day, Pastor Call mentioned, like, he'll be dragged kicking and screaming. I will be right there alongside of him, kicking and screaming. I love this church. But I know that the Lord moves people around sometimes. And one day, will I hear that my students are taking up leadership in this body? Or will I hear that they're, they're off doing their own thing? I am praying that God would affect their innermost being and give them the riches and the fullness of his love that they might be rooted and established. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we close this morning.
What does the world want to see? They don't need more programs or systems in church. They need and are drawn to people whose lives have changed and are filled with the fullness of God. It is not enough for us to play the part. Going, hmm, when we make a good point, it's not enough. Going, hmm, when somebody is making a life-altering choice and saying, hey, my God's got you. Let me pray for you right now. That is being sent. God sees through us. I'm going to tell you what, your kids and grandkids, they're an authentic generation. Just like they'll tell you to hush up when they're not interested, your kids and grandkids, they're going to tell you what. They're going to see right through you if you're not living for the Lord properly. If you want your family to see the love of God welling up inside of you, you need to get on your knees. Let that love overflow into your life. Let it affect the way you walk and you talk. How you talk to a manager when you're angry. How you go back into the store when there's something in your cart that you forgot to pay for. How you discipline them. How you talk to their teacher. How you talk about somebody who hurt you. That's going to affect and change their view of the love of the Lord. They need to see how deeply that gospel has changed you. There's no perfect words to get through to that person, but I've got to say that praying these words back to God, praying for the Holy Spirit to change them, is a pretty good start, eh? If you don't have that, if you have yet to experience the fullness of the riches of the glory of God through his spirit, I'm going to get on my knees for you this morning. I pray for your soul to experience a life-altering, mind-confounding, world-shaking love of God that it would affect and change your inner being. And I'm going to pray that for your kids, your kids' kids, your siblings. I'm going to pray that for the person that I want to see come to the Lord. I want you to have the fullness of God in your life. It's for this reason that I bow to my knees this morning. I'm going to pray this passage over you. from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I am your child, Father. I want to see your kingdom come and your family grow. I pray that out of his glorious riches, your glorious riches, God, that you can strengthen these people with your power through your spirit in their inner being, God. Change lives. Father God, not just get in their way, but a divine appointment with you, Father. That your love would be irrefutable, God. That your spirit would come and dwell in the hearts of the lost, Father. I want so bad, God, to see them come to know you so that you may dwell in their hearts through faith. God, take up residence in these people. Give them an extra filling of your spirit, Father, that we can overflow into your church that we can overflow into Corona, that we can overflow and be known by our love, God. I pray that they will be rooted, Father, and established in your love, 
that no storm will pull them away, that no wind, no rain, no hurricane, Father, will take them away from the love of God, the firm foundation that you provide, Father. God, that they will have power together with all of the holy people when they find that they have a family, God. The fatherless find their father, God. Lord, I pray over those with broken families, with broken hearts and relationships, God, that you would heal them with the love of the Father. Jesus, may they grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is your love, God. That they would know this love that's beyond knowing. It's beyond understanding and beyond communication, God. It is vast. It is big, and I need it for them, Father. They need it for their souls, God. That you, that you people may be filled with the fullness of God to the brim. Spill over. Father God. Give us your spirit. We don't have to beg for you to be here. There's two or more of us, Father. Your spirit is here in this place. To you, Father, you are able to do these things way more than we ask, immeasurably more than we seek or imagine because of your power that's at work in us. To you be the glory, God. Any soul that comes to the kingdom, any heart that affects change, God, that is to your glory. Set us aside, God. It is not about being a good Christian. It is about being loved. Father God, throughout generations, Father, may we know you. Lord, I pray for the lost in this room. Change their hearts. I pray for the lost tied to the loved in this room. Family members, siblings, children, teachers, friends, God. God, we bring the names to you this morning that we have ached for for a long time. I set them down, God. They are your child. Make them your child. Give them your love. Affect their hearts with change, Father God. Won't you come in and dwell inside of them? God, you are good. And your love is confounding. Lord, we're going to continue worshiping you. Not because that's what we do, but because we are from a place of victory, Father. I know that you hear me. I know that you hear the hearts in this room praying with me, Father, for the lost and the broken. God, we pray for hearts to change, come to you, and make a way. You are the God who hears, and because of that, God, we are going to worship in obedience because we know you're already working. You're already saving these souls. Bring them to your heart, Father. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. 
If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.